Okay, so some people are still sleeping, right? And some people are on spring break vacation. This is like the one day of the year where I'm completely confused. I, it's like, okay, so my clock says seven, but it's really six. So what time, does anybody else do that for like three days? You're like, okay, it's seven, but it's really six. And you try to do a lot. And then I woke up this morning and I'm like, did my phone really change? Is it? And then thankfully my oven doesn't change. So I run to the kitchen and I'm like, okay, I know what time it is because it's a seven, so it must be eight, you know? No one else does any of that. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you guys are here. You sprung forward and I'm so glad that you're here in church this morning. If you're visiting with us, we would love to connect with you. And the best way to do that is to fill out our connection card. So if you're in the building, the seat back in front of you has a QR code. If you're joining us online or if you'd rather, you can go to mybethel.cc slash connect. And then there's just a form to fill out with your number or a way to reach you. So we can just reach out and see how we can better serve you. Um, I'm in green, right? Because it's St. Patrick's Week. Do anybody else remember that? 17th is coming up. So I wear my green jeans once a year, I think. Pull them out for St. Patrick's Day week. Um, we are back on track in Galatians in our series. I don't even know if you remember we were in Galatians. We took a little break for Love Made Me Do It. We're back in Galatians, and today we're going to be looking at the problem of religion. What? Religion's a problem? Oh, yeah. So we're going to be looking at that today. So problem of religion in Galatians, right? All right, let's get started. Um, I'm really, really glad that we're meeting in person today because two years ago today, was our last Sunday before we went into, you know, COVID at home, isolation, social distancing, learning words that we had never even uttered before. Two years ago today, uh, we stood up and said, we don't know what the future holds, but here's the season we're heading into. And man, I'm glad this part, we're on this side. I'm glad we're on this side of that adventure. Uh, does anybody else feel like 2020 and 2021 just kind of became one year? Anybody else feel that way? Like it was five years in one, but it was just one year? Does anybody? I mean, Pastor Ruben and I were talking this morning. It was just like, okay, what happened to 2021? I mean, we remember 2020 pretty well, but 2021 just kind of went, it's gone, right? Uh, 2022 has been an interesting adventure. We definitely remember 2022, right, Christy? I mean, this has been a, a wild ride for us, but we are very, very grateful for you. Um, this year hasn't quite progressed like we imagined. Uh, most of you uh, put together some maybe some year-end goals starting the year 2022. This is the year of all the palindromes, you know, where you have the, the back and forth numbers and the digits, especially in February. It's really a fun year, and yet this year really didn't quite progress like we imagined. It's been completely different. Um, but you guys have been so great and so loving and supportive, and this is exactly what it means to be a church family. Uh, we, we had this, like, aspirational idea of what a church is, and we had this, like, vision of what a church is, but we've been able to experience it the last three months. It's just been like our faith has become sight, and it's been, it's been amazing to, to, to experience on our end. Uh, we don't want to make this all about us, though, and so we're going to kind of go back into our series about Jesus. Um, Galatians is a, a book of the Bible. It's one of the most um, controversial books as far as church goes because Paul doesn't pull any punches. He just really gets after church people, and he's trying to re remind them, hey, this is all about Jesus. This is not about us. This is not about what we want. This is all about Jesus. And so our commitment remains the same as it's always been, to make Jesus the center of attention. 
Uh, this has been Christie's and my life goal, and this has been our church's life goal, is to make it all and only about Jesus. Actually, our mission statement is not for all of us just to become like Jesus. That's really not what our mission statement is. Our mission statement is to find Jesus and then follow Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to follow him with the rest of our lives, and we want to be able to point other people to him, to make him known, and we have trusted him this whole time. It's different when you say you trust something and then you actually put it into action and have to step on it and trust it. Uh, Christy's update, I want to give you a quick one real quick about how she's doing. Uh, this is week two away from chemo. Is it week one and a half away from chemo? So she's got another, from Tuesday in a week, she'll have her third round of chemo, so the 22nd of March. And so if you can put that on our calendar to pray for her. Uh, this week she's doing so well that she said, I wish I could do chemo on Tuesday to get this thing going. But I said one more week of strength and one more week of recovery, but we got her blood work on... Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. And her blood count's doing great. Her vitals are doing great. Uh, she's gone through this one not like the first one. She's done really well and uh, really happy to see her, her progress. She actually every day feels a little better. Um, she's stronger today than she was last Sunday, and it's great to, great to watch as she steps up and, and fights this battle. Uh, but we know that without your prayers and without your guys' partnership with us, this would be a totally different story. And so we're extremely grateful for that. Well, it's been a minute since we've been in the book of Galatians. Now, for me, the last time we were in Galatians was January 4th, whatever the first Sunday was, and I haven't um, preached in Galatians since then. Pastor Reuben, Pastor Randy, they've done a great job, and then we've had some guest speakers that have kind of gone through this, but I want to kind of bring us up to speed so we can talk about the problem of religion. This is a specific problem, and you may think it's strange to be in church where the pastor would say that religion's a problem. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he actually came to deal with the issues of humanity through sin, but also through overly um, focused religion and tradition. He wanted to give people an opportunity to cast their burdens on him. So what was happening in the day of, of Jesus when he came to this earth is not only was there this Roman oppression politically, but there was also this religious oppression by the Pharisees and Sadducees that they had just put so much pressure on this to be right with God. And this was the overwhelming pressure of the day. And so when Paul comes on the scene later on, Jesus confronts him. He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a very religious person. And Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, I've chosen you to do something different. And if you look at his message in Galatians, he's calling people that have claimed to know a Savior, Jesus, that have stepped right back into religious tradition. And we're going to kind of deal with that this morning. The first week I proposed this idea, or I posed this idea, that there are two types of Christians. And I want to update a little bit. I think there's three types of Christians. There's two types, typically. There's the masochistic Christian and then the narcissistic Christian, okay? Um, if you remember what we talked about, and if you didn't, it's no big deal. I'm going to catch you up to speed. But a masochistic Christian is the type of Christian that's looking to suffer more and more as they get to know Jesus more and more. And so they see everything through the lens of misery and suffering. If they didn't suffer, they didn't do it right. So do you know anybody like this? I do. I got some people in my family, I got some close personal friends that are just like this, that everything is seen through suffering. Not only do they want to suffer, but you're going to know when they suffer. So they're miserable and they wouldn't have it any other way. These are the ones that they have the down face and you say, how are you doing today? Praise God, I'm doing good. Well, maybe you should tell your face. <laughs> um, 
They look for more and more ways to make life harder on themselves. They can be found doing another deep dive in the Greek and Hebrew, and there's nothing against that, but these are the people that are making life difficult when Jesus has come to set them free, and these are, the church is full of these kind of people. They think that there's a secret code in Scripture. If they can just crack it, their life would be better, and they're going to make their lives miserable doing it. The other kind is the narcissistic Christian. This is the one that's arrived, and they are God's gift to the church, and the greatest thing to ever happen to the church, and they know more than you do, and they make sure you know more that they know more than you do. They are pious and snooty and stuck up and proud, and they look down their noses on pity of those that are beneath them. They think they're God's gift to the church, and no one could, pot, like the church could not possibly function without them. They have the corner on truth, and no one can teach them anything. And as dangerous as these two places, masochism and narcissism, are, we find ourselves kind of tugged between the two. We, we kind of find ourselves someday saying, ah, I'm just not suffering enough. God, just bring some suffering. And then, or, oh man, I've arrived and I'm just really good and this is really great all about me. And I, I want to kind of put the third track in your minds because I think most of us battle between the two and we say we want to be balanced. Who doesn't think they're balanced, right? Everybody thinks they're balanced. So you're balanced your way, I'm balanced my way, we're all off balance. That's the truth. I think the third type of Christian is a grace-infused Christian. And I use the word Christian pretty loosely because it's really easy to be a Christian today. It's really easy to say that you follow Jesus today. But a grace-infused Christian actually daily dies to themselves. They're dependent on the forgiveness of Jesus. They take one step forward and two steps back. It's genuinely having a heart for others and making it not about them but about, about others and Jesus, and they take their mistakes in stride because they know that Jesus forgives and restores. They trust the Spirit's power in their life, and they strive to make each day more and more like Jesus. They, like, they want to be a follower. Now, here, here we want to do a little test, a little quiz on this Daylight Savings Day, and it's 2022. It's March. How are we doing on our projects and our kind of our... Uh, resolutions that we started in January. Anybody, anybody want to look at their list and see how you're doing? I've got a few of mine on here. Um, clean out the attic. Guess how I've done on that one? Whoops. I forgot about it till I read it. What about um, being a nicer person? Uh, whoops. Um, what about scripture reading? I just want to make sure I read scripture every day. What about losing the excess holiday weight? The way I lost it is I gained a little more. That way I could feel better about it when I lose it, right? <laughs> These stinking Dole Whips. I mean, have you guys tried those things? I've told you about them. But it says on the screen, low-calorie, gluten-free. And I'm like, sweet, I could have two. <laughs> Generosity or personal organization or maybe finding a new job. And here, here's the truth. If we look at what we've accomplished or not accomplished, we'll either feel good about ourselves or bad about ourselves. Like, I'm actually making a difference in my personal life with these decisions I made, or I'm failing as a human being, right? Why do these failures make us feel like bad people? Because we're all trying to prove that we're good at living and can control and dominate this life. The, the, the bottom line is we all experience a grace deficit. And when I mean grace deficit, I mean, like, we know intellectually that Jesus loves us no matter what. But for some reason, our actions don't show that because we think we're living a life to prove that we know Jesus. We're living a life 
to show everyone that I'm in the family of God. How exhausting is that? Can, can we be truthful just for a minute? It's exhausting because we're running a race trying to prove to other people that Jesus lives in us when Jesus says, just simply rest. I've paid it all. Now, there's an extreme <laughs> to become too legalistic about it, or there's an extreme to become too loose about it, and I get it. Both of these extremes are real. Too often we lose ourselves in these extremes where we're trying to earn our salvation on one end and then saying, eh, who cares on the other end. We begin implementing best practices to become better Christians, these little life hacks, you know, and with our phones, man, it makes it so easy to be reminded, oh yeah, I need to follow Jesus today. Bing, there's my reminder. So here's just my personal thing, but who has set up a reminder about your daily, like, reading of Scripture? Anybody have a reminder on your phone like that? Okay. Now, let's just be truthful. I have one. 6 a.m. It says, time with Jesus. Can I tell you how many days that that thing pops up and I swipe it? This is just the truth. Pops up, time with Jesus. Oh, yeah. And what happens is we become so routine and so traditional and so, like, just stuck in the way things we do that it becomes routine, routine, routine. With my, my wife, this last three months, it's been nothing but, there's been no routine. It's been every day is a new day. And imagine if I wake up, Christy, how are you doing today? Love you. Turn around and I leave. Christy, how are you doing today? Love you. And I turn and leave. And it's just this routine, and she's like, uh, okay, here comes Ray again to say he loves me. He's not doing anything about it, but he loves me. That's what he says. And we, we end up treating a lot of things in our lives like this, our relationships with people, our jobs, uh, the, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with others. It becomes this, like, just mechanical thing, and we end up overlooking our true dependence on Jesus for every single day. We focus on all the stuff instead of trusting the one that actually can carry us through, the one that paid the penalty for my sins and your sins on the cross. It's easy to read scripture that says Jesus loves the whole world and forget that I am one individual that he loves in the whole world personally. It's not just something disconnected. So, so for the book of Galatians, I want to give you a little bit background. Paul and Barnabas, these are two missionaries, the first missionaries that were sent out of the church. They established several churches in Asia on their first journey. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. These two guys, Paul in particular, and then Barnabas as a helper and encourager, they went to find people that were far from God and established churches in different places of Asia Minor. And Galatians is one of the loudest and most stern books that Paul ever wrote. You can read the book of Philippians, and it's a very loving book and a very um, accommodating book to draw people in through a loving relationship. And then you go to Galatians, and you're like, ooh, Paul's having a bad day right here. He's kind of upset. Actually, he writes with big letters towards the end, like yelling at people. It's like something's up here. It was written to a group of churches in Galatia, and these churches had fallen into a trap of Jesus plus. So uh, if you have a phone, they like to have like variations of the same thing, and they'll do, here's your this phone, number this, number 13, and then there'll be like this 13 max plus. And in our minds, we're like, okay, here's the entry level, here's the mid-level, and here's the best max plus level. And we look at Jesus and we say, well, okay, so Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and life. Okay, great. He's going to take my sins. He died on the cross. Great. So we take Jesus and simple faith of a child. We say, hey, I want to follow him. And then time goes on and we get frustrated with the decisions we make 
And we're like, there must be something missing. And so we start tacking on Jesus plus, and then we add whatever we want. And we think it's better because, oh, Jesus plus anything is better. We even have a sign out there in the coffee place that says, a whole lot of Jesus and a little bit of coffee goes a long way. And that's true. Jesus plus coffee makes a better life, right? Okay, you guys. The truth is, coffee's awesome for a human. It could or could not have anything to do with Jesus. Maybe I'll read my Bible better if I'm drinking coffee. Anybody like that? Now, what about Jesus plus therapy? Oh, that's a good thing. Therapy is a great thing. But once we begin including things into the process that Jesus does in our soul, we're adding to the good news that Jesus did everything. There's nothing wrong with coffee. There's nothing wrong with therapy. There's nothing wrong with doctors and medicine. Nothing. It's actually a gift from God. But once we transition and transfer our dependence to these things, it becomes Jesus plus these things get me through. Paul wrote to the church in the culture of that day a Jesus plus culture. It's just like today. It's, it's almost eerily similar to today. So here's some conversations that go like this. I think Jesus is a good teacher, and I also think we should be good people. So super subtle, but we say Jesus is a good person, but I also think we should be good people. Now, who can deny that? Mm, not really, anybody. But here's where we end up doing, is we end up equating being good people with Jesus. I know lots of good people that don't know Jesus at all. I actually know a lot of people that don't know Jesus that are better than most people that know Jesus. How sad is that? But that's true. I like Jesus and democracy. Anybody ever heard that? God and country. Ooh, whoops. God, family, and country. And I'm I'm saying this to make you think for a minute because I think we live in a culture and a society that it's very easy to fall into the Jesus camp along with all these other things. And Paul understands the temptation to add things to Jesus. What about this one? Jesus is a great example to follow, and he's my homie. (laughs) I've just made that one up. I've seen it. Jesus is my homeboy. You never seen those shirts? It's awesome. Do you have one? You should get one, Jeremiah. Come on, man. Jesus is my homeboy and hugs. You know, I love hugs. Let's do it. Okay. Here's the thing. None of these things are bad things. They're not bad. They're not bad to pursue. But what's happened over time is we've blurred the lines between what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means just to be a citizen of this country. We've kind of blurred it. Because we think, have you sold yourself this? You meet someone and you interact with them, you're like, oh man, they'd be a great Christian. Have you ever, have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? Because, oh, this person's good, and if we would just add Jesus to their life, oh, they'd be even better. But what about the person that's just a wicked murderer? Oh, they'd be a great Christian, actually. You know Why? <laughs> the evidence of Jesus in their life would be massive. But for some reason, we've blurred the lines with being good and actually following Jesus. So many of us believe that we should suffer more over time as followers of Jesus. Many believe that we just need to do one more thing to earn the right to be in an afterlife with heaven. Many of us are trapped in bondage of actually trying to break open the ticket to heaven. And if we truly were pushed in a corner and were asked, do you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior and you'll be in heaven with him, you'll be like, "Eh, I really hope so. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. 
Paul is laying out in the book of Galatians the case for Jesus alone and nothing else. And it's pretty harsh. Paul's trying to convince the church in Galatia that they need, are in need of no other Savior except Jesus. There's many gods and there's many deities, but there's only one Jesus. I think Steve Cuss said it something like this last week. I don't know if he said it on Sunday or in the conference. But Jesus is the only one that paid the price for connection with God. Every other deity makes you pay the price. But Jesus is the only one that paid the price for you to be connected to the Father with no strings attached. Every other God, little g God, asks you to pay. So when we try to pay and earn Jesus, we've missed the free nature of the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus died for me. It's the good news that I no longer have to chase anything. He's done it all. I can rest. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. We're going to read a few verses here, and then we're going to kind of talk through them, and then we'll be done on time, I promise. We're not going to go over just because it's been so long since I've spoken. All right? Deal. Verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking specifically to people that claim Jesus as family, okay? Now, if you're here today and you're checking out Jesus, you're wondering who Jesus is, is he someone that I should trust? Read into this because you'll see that Jesus is not asking you to check a bunch of boxes. He's not asking you to do a whole to-do list before you come to him. He simply says, come. But it says here, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message, so the, the message of the good news that Jesus died for me, it says, I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what it was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. So we talked last, we've talked over the last couple months about the different things we follow and the different gospels that we chase, the different good news that we chase. Last week we heard that every gospel has a path and a promise. So what are you chasing? What are you going after? What is, what is your pursuit? And I want you to look at today that there's some gospels that Paul is comparing and contrasting just in these few simple verses. The first one is the gospel of human reasoning. The gospel of human reasoning. Now, I can just say that I'm very impressed with the skills of humanity. Spending any amount of time in the hospital just is impressive because things have advanced and science has brought about some, some incredible healing that's a gift. But being there, it's impressive because he's like, oh man, being in the hospital this year and seeing the knowledge of humanity played out is an amazing gift from God. It truly is. And I'm grateful to see my wife sitting over here that if it wouldn't be for the day and age we live in, she'd be far gone and she'd be out of this world. She'd be dead. But because of the advance in the human reasoning and understanding, she's sitting here today. Now, we can say that that's part of the puzzle, yes. But also, God had something to do with it, but he used human understanding. So when I'm talking about human reasoning, I'm not discrediting the importance of men and women using their talents that God has given them. But Paul is saying the good news of Jesus was not thought of or reasoned out in a philosophy of man. It was not through human experience or knowledge. It was not like a best practice for living. That's not what Jesus came to give us. The gospel is not just one of the ways to a relationship with God. Paul actually says that it's exclusive. He's exclusively the way to God. And this is so offensive today. Because when you claim to know the truth and you say there's only one, all it takes is one minute, even in a group like this, for people to be like, nah, I don't think that's right. 
I think there's other stuff. There's other ways. But Paul is presenting the exclusivity of Jesus, like he is the only one. I don't know if the way that you live your life out is intuitive or dependent. There's totally two different realms here. I think a lot of us go with our gut. When we make decisions, we go with our gut. When we try to decide which car to buy, we go with our gut. When we try to decide what house or career or what our kids should do or where they should go to school or how our marriage should go, it's like just how does my gut feel? Now, is that true or not? So we look at our experience, we look at maybe our failures, and we go with our gut. That's called intuition. Well, the Christian life is not about intuition. It's about supernatural dependence. It has nothing to do with my past experiences, really. It's about what God wants to do in my listening. So the the gospel of human reasoning can get us into lots of trouble because we have incredible minds. We go to bed at night, and we dream, and we think, and we wake up for the new day, and let's say, what can I do? And we just go with our gut. Is that, is that mostly true? That's mostly true in my life, too. But then Paul says there's this gospel called the gospel of revelation. And it's complete opposite. The gospel of human reasoning has to do with what I think. And the gospel of revelation is what God thinks. It's something beyond our, com- our control. It's, it's beyond our reasoning. It's interesting because if you look at this original word in the Greek, it's actually the word apocalypsis. Now, when you think apocalypse, what do you think? The end, right? But the word revelation means apocalypse, meaning something that's unseen has been presented. Something that's unknown has been made known. It's something supernatural that we can actually reason out. And so this word means laying bare the the appearance of something that before was not known by human understanding. This is a supernatural origin. And there is a dependence that is difficult to process when following Jesus. Because most of us think, okay, I have the Spirit of God living in me. I've, I've made a decision to follow Him, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to be different. And actually, every single day is a day of dependence, not a day of intuition. And sometimes it's counterproductive. It's counterintuitive. It's completely opposite of what we would, we would imagine. Someone punches me, I want to punch him back. Someone slaps me on the face, oh, yeah, here we go, right? Hmm, just me? Okay. So here's what the the truth is. We don't learn about Jesus through reasoning. We learn about him through revelation. We can't ever understand who Jesus is through our reasoning because it does not make sense. We can only understand who he is through revelation, divine revelation, the appearance of things that were before unseen. So if we compare the two Gospels, one is human-sourced, one is supernatural. One is man-centered, one is God-centered. One is limited to human reasoning and understanding, and one is limitless. One is explained and one is yet to be explained. Have you tried to actually figure out why a supernatural, all-powerful God would even care about you? That is something that every day should just astonish you. Why? I haven't figured it out yet. I don't know. But Paul is very clear about Jesus being exclusive. He's not a self-help guru. He's not a keychain you put in your pocket and pull out when you need it. It's not a little booklet that you look at to say, oh, what do I do next? It's not that. Jesus actually has no, there's no one else that can compare to him, and there's no other way to the Father except through him. There is no one like Jesus. He is God. Jesus simply is. And then Paul goes on to share his story of chasing the gospel of human reasoning. This is the end of human reasoning right here. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church? I did my best to destroy it. 
This is what happens when human reasoning comes in because when I think I've figured out truth, I'm going to defend it with everything. I'm going to fight. We do this when we get together with family and Thanksgiving and Christmas and whatever other holiday, Fourth of July. All we defend what we think is true. You know who's better? The Dallas Cowboys. And I'm going to fight to the death. I don't know who would do that, but just in case. What about OU versus OSU? I'm going to fight to the death because one's the best and one's not, right? So we end up taking our human thing and we violently pursue others and we try to force them into our will. And if you're strong enough, you can make someone cry uncle. You can. But in their heart, they're still saying, no, the other one's better. This is human reasoning. It's violent. It says right here, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. It costs something to actually follow other religions. It costs a lot. Following other religions costs my loyalty. It causes me to hate other people. It causes me to step over other people to get ahead. It tramples human dignity, and it focuses purely on self-improvement. Religion demands perfection, while Jesus is our perfection. Religion makes me pursue something that I'm never going to quite get a hold of. And Jesus stands there saying, hey, it's finished, it's done. I've paid it all. There's nothing more to pursue. And then he talks about this thing called traditions, i.e. We all have an internal gospel that guides us. We all have internal values. We have internal things that our parents put in us or our grandparents put in us or our society, our school, education. Have you ever, ever, ever tried to stop a family tradition? I'm talking you left home, you're doing your own thing, and you come and you want to put your tree up. This might affect some people more than others because I left home and I've said, no more trees! And I still feel bad about it. Like in my heart, I'm like, ugh. Because it was a family tradition. What about religious traditions? They're, they're like impossible to overcome. Simply go and do something that you were told was wrong and try to do it. You'll do it, and then your heart will be like, oh, I feel bad about this. Because something about traditions and something about things that were told us and indoctrinated us when we were growing up, they're hard to overcome. So, so compound that with tying it to your eternal security. And you say, oh, for me to be able to get to heaven, I've got to do this, and 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 if I don't do this and I don't do it perfectly, I'm out. That's overwhelming. That's the very tradition that Jesus came to fulfill and to overcome. He said, guess what? If you're tired and burdened, just lay it on me. I've got this. Religious traditions are like trying to change the words of a song. I'm going to go real quick here because we're running out of time. When you sing a song that you've known since you were a child and someone changes the words, it just doesn't feel right. So go with me for a second here, okay? So we're going to do an exercise together. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Help me out. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. So good job. Okay, good. Those of you that said it. What about this one? Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a oh, dream. Okay, yeah. For my Spanish friends, what about this one? Los pollitos dicen pio, pio, pio. Okay. Hey, there you go. What about this? 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I... Okay, now we're going to do something completely different. Wrinkle, wrinkle, little scab. How you bit me like a crab. Right upon my knee so hard when I fell down in the backyard. Wrinkle, wrinkle, little scab. How you bit me like a crab. They're like, that's plagiarism. You stole that. That is not right. It's wrong. And we laugh, and yet in our soul, we're like, ugh. I'm going to correct him in my soul. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, right? When we sing different lyrics or something in our minds, it feels wrong. We can't help but correct it, even if it's just in our soul. We all have religious zeal, whether we think we do or not. Paul took this deal to the logical conclusion, which is defending God by killing and imprisoning others. And Jesus himself said this, that if you think in your heart, if you hate in your heart, if you talk in your heart, you've actually committed that. You've done it. How many corpses are around churches because people cannot help but act on their religious zeal? How many of you are still recovering from something that happened to you years ago in a religious setting? Because we can't help but take our religious zeal to its logical conclusion, which means I've arrived, and if you haven't gotten here, you're out. And that is the very thing Jesus came to fight. What's your religious zeal? It may be unspoken, it may be unarticulated, it may even be surprising to you, but what are the things you hold on to? Those conversations you have with yourself, you think you're better because you do these things, or maybe you don't do certain things so you're better. It's this condemning spirit at work with the people at work, like, I've arrived and you haven't, poor you. It's that vocal assault on your friends and family. What about the other extreme? Eh, I don't know anything. Maybe I'm following Jesus and it's a mistake. I'd never appease God anyway. I'm just a failure. So when we're, when we're confronting our religious zeal, we all need grace and patience with ourselves as the gospel washes over our soul and cleans us and exclusively leaves Jesus. These past two months have been real for us. Here's three things that I just want to leave you with. Our personal gospel is made known when we're confronted by life, crisis. Others will see it when we're in crisis. What do we believe? Our personal gospel is played out in our practical living. And most people around us can identify our gospel before we do. So what do people see in us when we're under pressure? What do people see us when things are in us when things are going well? What do people see when we don't when we don't even realize they're looking? <laughs> the truth is we don't always get it right. Sometimes we're jerks. Sometimes we make mistakes. But really, what we've got to ask ourselves is what is our soul telling us when we look at Jesus? Or do we feel condemned or do, do we feel accomplished? And here, here's my suspicion. We all have weaknesses when it comes to our faith. We all would like to be more confident than we really are. We all want to feel like we're on the right path. And Jesus simply says this, supernaturally, the gospel has been given. And if you simply say yes to him and you let that gospel wash over your soul, he'll still be there when everything else goes away. Let's pray. God, this morning, it's a, 
It's a privilege to be back in your house. It's a privilege to be with my friends. God, I pray that today we realize that Christ is enough. It's not just something we say or sing about, but he is enough. For my friends that are here, God, those that are either checking you out, checking Bethel out, um, came because a friend invited them, God, I pray that today would be a day of rest, that Jesus truly would shine through and say, hey, if you're burdened, just cast it on me. Just give me your burden, and I'll make you rest because I'm enough. God, I pray that those traditions and religions and difficulties from our past, we could just, God, that we could allow the gospel to just wash them away. And it's scary. But the power of Jesus is all we need. It's not what our gut says, it's not what our tradition says, but it's what you have supernaturally given. We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet, and we're going to sing together a couple songs. Um, Jesus promises that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And the first song we're going to sing is Christ is Enough. The, the second song is a brand new one, and it's called It Is Finished. Everything that we talk about for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's finished. And we can trust him. Let's sing. Um, you talked about it, it kind of, we had a conversation a couple months ago that, that kind of, changed the trajectory of, of things for me. And then you mentioned it again today. You said, you know, try doing something that you were told was wrong and see, see like what it does to your heart. And that's how I think we can maybe do a little test of like the things that maybe we're adding to mm-hmm. really the eternity. I mean, when, when you attach it to eternity, when you, when you ask yourself, okay, what are the things that I'm adding to Jesus right. that I feel comfort in? And, and really, it's kind of a thing, and I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this. <laughs> it's like one of the pastors here, uh, but I'm going to say it anyways, and it, we're, we're going to, and then you can reprimand right. me later. Right. You can sl- right. slap me on the wrist. <laughs> but you had a conversation. I, I, I talked about a time when I was um, trying to do my Bible study, and I actually prayed in the morning. I got up early. I did all the things that I was supposed to do to try to make room to spend time with God. And I remember praying specifically that morning. I said, God, please, like, I know that I want to spend time with you, and I need, I need some quiet moment with you. Mm-hmm. And here comes, like, as I'm praying that prayer, little here feet. comes a little feet, footprint, you know, <laughs> dun, 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 down the stairs, my little daughter. And I'm, like, in the midst of trying to have a quiet moment and spend time with God and yeah. longing for that, that time with him. And I found myself frustrated and angry with my daughter because she interrupted the time that I was longing for with the father. And you said, you're like, well, that's interesting because don't you think that your daughter is longing for the same thing from you that you're longing for from the father? And I was like, whoa. And so I I knew in that moment, and so like I'm actually on a journey right now, and this is the part that I don't know if I'm allowed to say (laughs) as a pastor, but I'm actually on a journey right now of not having this rigid six o'clock, get up and make coffee and be in quiet with the Lord because it almost often gets interrupted and whether it gets interrupted or I don't have it, the feelings are the same of like, man, I think that is attached to God being pleased with me, God being happy with me, God, God loving me more Mm -hmm. because I spent time in quiet in his word every day at the same time. And, and so I realized like, that's kind of like, 
that was Jesus plus. Yeah. And so even the good things that, that we experience, you know, like as a Christian, right, you think like, oh, I'm supposed to read my Bible, I'm supposed to pray, I'm supposed to do these things. Right. And yet those things can be the very things that we attach or hitch to our salvation well, or we, our it's eternity. It's like a spiritual health assessment. Like if yeah. I'm doing these things, then my spiritual health is good. And it's really... Mm-hmm could have nothing to do with it at all. Um, here's one better for you. So anybody do the Bible app where you get the streak going, you know, every day you open yeah. it, you read something, you get a streak going. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a streak that's over like five, you know, I mean, because <laughs> some of us, some of us kind of forget to open it or whatever, but I had this streak going and I was up in the like 190s. Now, I've gotten to 365 before just out of pure gumption, you know, yeah. but I was up at 190 and I said, today I'm not opening it. Make you feel like crap. So you can do this if you have like this high streak and you're like feeling real good about yourself. Don't open it tomorrow and see how you feel. Hmm. Is that Jesus plus or not? Yeah. And I think that's a revelation. You know, we, we attach ourselves to things and we tell ourselves that God's more pleased with me today because right. I read my Bible right. and I spent time in quiet. I was diligent to get up and oh, man, I got ready and I was yeah. it was good. We're not telling you not to read your Bibles, by the way. Right. I mean, we're, no. we're, we're not saying yeah, please, that. Please but here, here's, that. here's the truth, and here's the revelation that needs to fall on you, is that Jesus can't love you more than he does yesterday, today, and forever. He, he, he's already, he loves you just as much as he ever was. He doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you now. Hmm. So you could bust your life trying to read Scripture and be a good person and miss the grace that Jesus Freely wants to give you. Well, and it's the difference between the intellectual and the and the actual, right? right. The, the the functional. Because right. intellectually, I know that Scripture tells me that God loves me no matter what, and right. that that it's fully paid and it's finished. But functionally, <laughs> I believe there's times that I've and seasons that I've gone through that I believe that I have to do these religious practices in order to continue to stay in God's good graces. Right. And so functionally, there's a, there's a gap between what I know intellectually and what I functionally experience on a day-to-day life. And so bring closing that gap and and reminding ourselves of the gospel. That's what Paul was doing. He's reminding us of the gospel over and over again, that we never graduate from the good news of Jesus paid it all. And it's the resting in it. I mean, you you can look at your life and say, what decisions do I make based on pure intuition? Mm -hmm. And what decisions do I trust supernaturally God's presence in my life? And most of us can say, intuitively, I make most of my decisions. That does not make you a bad person. That's just maybe the way God designed you. Maybe you need a six o'clock rigid thing or you'll never do it. There's lots of ways God designed us. And I think what it is, is God's grace is is a one-size-fits-all to people that are not one-size-fits-all. Grace covers everything but we actually need to learn to depend and trust in grace. And that's really what Paul's trying to get people to say, because the alternative is once you say this has worked for me, this rigid plan has worked for me and I'm a better person because of it, I begin to copy and paste that on people Mm -hmm. and really just burdening people with pure religion. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. And we ourselves become burdened by it. Yeah, and nasty about it, really. Become nasty. Have a great spring break. If you have your kids at home and you're going to go do something, have fun doing it. Um, Here at Bethel, what do we say? We exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Love you guys. Have a great week. See ya.